Right, true believers, and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, and we are the podcast that is about animation that comes from the world of comic books. We have only a couple of rules here if you're new to the show. Number one, like I said, it's always going to be based on a comic book. It's always going to be animated. Number three, it's always going to be like an old DC Comics Presents, Brave and the Bold, Marvel 2-in-1, where I'm always going to be teaming up with someone to tackle this and number four and most important it's always going to be fun here in the multiverse without further ado i'm going to bring this week's guest on he's a good friend of mine he is a man who needs no introduction he is the show's iron man expert welcome to the multiverse freddie mackey thank you glad to be here all right freddie welcome to episode six thank you (laughs) all right I didn't just mention he's an Iron Man expert for no reason. The subject of today's episode is Shellhead himself, the Invincible Iron Man, picked, handpicked by you, Francis. Yes, it was. Now, if you can put into words, explain your love affair with old Shellhead. I always appreciate a character that's uh, sort of a normal guy that can fight in the world of superheroes and supervillains and all these cosmic beings and powerful building-destroying types. Plus, you get the added bonus. So one thing I always liked about Iron Man is where he and Batman are very similar. Rich guys become superheroes, got all the toys. But where Batman pretends to be the rich playboy, Tony Stark really is the rich playboy. <laughs> he lives the life. It's a beautiful thing. That is true. He never let a supervillain get in the way of a good time with the ladies. Or a drink. <laughs> so uh, we always like to give uh, credit where credit is due. Iron Man was created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber. Don Heck and Jack Kirby. Larry Lieber, the brother of Stanley. So, um, is Lieber, that is their real last name, yes. correct? That's what I thought. And um, what time of your life did you kind of start getting into Iron Man? I remember comics before I could even read, just looking at them. And somewhere along the way, I read everything, especially Marvel. So, somewhere along the way, I just started reading Iron Man and stuck with it. We're going to go back to the 90s, which was a crazy time in the time of comic books. Very hot, where some of the, not some of the most highest selling comics of all time came out in the 90s. Plus, mostly thanks to Batman, but on a whole, superhero animation was really a big deal in the 90s, if you remember. So we're going back to Iron Man, the animated series. Really the first Iron Man cartoon since the classic Iron Man cartoon from the 60s. We're specifically going back to September 24th, 1994, and before we get into the particular episode, we're going to discuss a little bit of the Iron Man, the Animated Series. Now, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on it. It was part of the Marvel Action Hour with the Fantastic Four. 
Now, a lot of my research said that it was created by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber, which just doesn't sound correct to me. What do you think? You're the Iron Man expert. Uh, no, I highly doubt that is true. I mean, I could see Stan Lee's being an executive producer and probably a creative consultant, but I never known him to actually out and out create a cartoon. No. They, in fact, they didn't even want him. To, as you said, this was a sort of a double feature show with both Fantastic Four and uh, Iron Man. He was originally supposed to do the little voiceover appearance at the beginning, like yeah. he used to do with Spider-Man. And the producer actually didn't want him. And they basically forced it on him. And he's like, once he saw it, he said, oh, that's pretty good. We should have that guy do that. <laughs> so he was almost totally not involved. Well, back then, bizarrely enough, Marvel was on the verge of bankruptcy, even though they had the highest selling comics in the industry. So a lot of these animations happened not necessarily with Marvel's full creative control. We discussed that a little bit on our Spider-Man episode. The producers of the show were Glenn Hill, Dennis Ho, and I'm going to butcher this name, Ted Tuchowi, or maybe the T is silent, Choey. Now, this was only ran for two seasons. Yes. We're going to the very first episode. Like I said, the air date was September 24th, 1994. It was called In the Sea Shall Give Up Its Dead, written by one Ron Freeman, who had written for many television shows, animated and non-animated, most Perfectly would be Transformers and G.I. Joe. He wrote both of the TV shows and he worked on the films. Now, the show only ran two seasons. We're not going to get into it much because it's not relevant to this episode, but they went through a lot of major change-ups where they lost voice actors like a couple episodes in, halfway through. They changed animation studios between seasons one and two. Yeah, the second season is basically totally different. Where they got rid of most of the characters and it's more like it was more like an actual comic series where different people showed up and things happened as opposed to the two teams always fighting every week. Yeah. They, um, a lot of things I read said it was very comparable to like masters in the universe in the sense of it was a one and done. They had a problem. They solved it. And it was pretty much there to sell a toy line. Cause I don't know if you remember, there were a lot of toys related to the series. I had those toys. Iron Man, obviously I always felt was a great lends itself to a toy because he has how many armors at this point? Two made an account. <laughs> they used, most prominently, his armor that was what he was wearing in the comic books at the time, if my memory serves correctly, but you are the expert, you tell me. Yes, they were using what was basically the terrible Lynn Kaminsky armor <laughs> that had no mouth, although they added a mouth for the cartoon, but it still was a pretty terrible armor. <laughs> all right, so normally I get into all the, the voices and the creations of the characters. There are quite a few that appear in this episode, so we're going to go into some of them, but we're not going to go into all of them. Obviously, Iron Man, like we already said, Created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. He's voiced by Robert Hayes, most known for being the main character in the movie Airplane. Don't call me Shirley. He was also on the short-lived Starman television show. And here's an interesting uh, tidbit. Playing his son on that show was Christopher Daniel Barnes, who went on to voice Spider-Man on Spider-Man, the animated series. No kidding. So it is kind of a small world. Hawkeye was created also by Stan Lee and Don Heck. He's voiced by the uh, late John Daly, most prominently known for playing Sean Donnelly on General Hospital. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> also, uh, Scarlet Witch, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, voiced by uh, Catherine Moffat, but only on season one. They ended up changing her voice, and I'm not really sure why. And I couldn't find anything on Catherine Moffat being famous for <laughs> anything other than that. Now, uh, Spider-Woman is on this, but is the second Spider-Woman. 
something Carpenter is her secret identity, if I remember correctly. Jennifer, maybe? I don't uh, remember. Not Jessica Drew, not the, not the Spider-Woman that most people know, but the I, second one. Julia Carpenter. Julia Carpenter, created by Jim Shooter and Mike Zeck. And she's voiced by Jennifer Hale. You're a big video game guy, so you must know who Jennifer Hale is. I have no idea. <laughs> he supposedly is in the Guinness Book World Records for the most prolific female video game voiceover of all time, doing voices for Mass Effect, Bioshock, and Knights of the Old Republic, just to name a few. I played all those games. <laughs> <laughs> now, Century, who is on here, created by uh, Andy Lanning, Tom Tenney, and James Warwick. He was voiced by one Dan Abnett, who is most known for voicing Qui-Gon Jinn in the majority of the Star Wars video games, something you, I'm sure, knew since you're the big video game <laughs> guy. I'm on top of it. Now, this, I didn't know. I thought Century was specifically created for this cartoon, but apparently he was from Forceworks. No, unfortunately, he was from Forceworks, which is essentially the Iron Man version of Batman and the Outsiders, because they, they, it was a team he made up after the West Coast Avengers broke up, and a couple issues in, this terrible character named Century who was an amnesiac mystery character who has all the powers in the book for no good reason, was a total waste of time. They spent way too much time trying to put him over, making you love him, even though nobody cared. And then it turned out he had some terrible, ridiculous origin. And then when they were done with that series, they never used him again. I was going to say, I don't remember ever reading any comic book that ever had this character in it. They made a big deal out of him in this. It didn't get over, and that was it. He just never got used again. <laughs> but he had his own action figure. He did have an action figure, and I had it. Which is bizarre, because some famous characters never get an action figure. Well, oh. now everybody has one, but at the time, they didn't. And this guy got one. He was the next big thing. And rounding out the good guys, we have James Rhodes' War Machine. Now, the character James Rhodes, created by Dave Micheletti and John Byrne, but the War Machine armor created by Kevin Hopgood and your old friend, Len Kaminsky, your big fan of his. The only good thing he ever did in a bad story. <laughs> He was voiced, but only at the beginning, only for the first half of the first season by James Avery, the late, great James Avery, obviously most famously known for Uncle Phil on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Another change, I, they do that a lot. You're going to find that a common theme. Now, is this an Iron Man cartoon or an Avengers cartoon? It's a Force Works cartoon. <laughs> like, it's Iron Man, yet the entire team shows up. Well, it was basically a poor man's West Coast Avengers, so this became a poor man's West Coast Avengers cartoon, basically. So there's a lot of villains. I'm not going to go into all of them, because some of them don't even have lines. The Mandarin is the main villain, created by Stan Lee and Don Heck as well, voiced by the late, I think it said Ed Gilbert, but not hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> he did uh, various voices animation, which is... If you listen to the show a lot, you notice if you've done voices before, you tend to do a lot of cartoon voices. He had done Baloo on Tailspin, and he had done some other voices on G.I. Joe and some other cartoons as well. And we also have uh, Modoc, an amazing character created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, standing for Mental Organism Design Only for Computing. But then when he lost his shit, it became a K for Killing. Now, you must be a big... I mean, how do you not fault a guy who's basically a giant uh, head? Yeah, I can't hear a giant flying <laughs> evil head. Now, he was voiced by one Jim Cummings, who, if you know anything about him, animation, is one of the, the most known. He's another Frank Welker. He's done, like, literally hundreds of voices, including he's done Winnie the Pooh for, I think, going back to the 80s now. <laughs> he was Ed in The Lion King and The Hyena. 
Plus, I believe he's the voice of Tigger as well. He's just done a lot, a lot, a lot. I think he does the voice of Black Flash on this as well, but I could be wrong about that. Grey Gargoyle, Titanium Man, Whirlwind, Dreadnought, Blizzard, Black Flash. But I'm not going to go into every single one of these characters. Half of them don't have lines, and it just the podcast would probably be three hours. But they also had, who I want to bring up, Hip... Turn- Hypnosia? Hypnosia, this female character to was specifically created for this cartoon. I don't know why, because they have a road gallery with like nine villains. Did they do a Harlequin with her and bring her into the comic books? As far as I know, because I can't figure out where she's ever been before, other than they just needed a girl for the bad guys, so there she is. Quite a lot to unpack in an Iron Man cartoon, especially in the first episode. I mean, we're talking at this point, what, 12 characters? Yeah, they just threw everything into the first episode. <laughs> So I, I don't know how they're going to fit this into 22 minutes. We're gonna we're about to find out because uh, we're going to watch and we're going to review it. So if you can, if you're available wherever you are, I would watch it with us. We're going to take a break and watch it, and we're going to come back and review it. Don't go anywhere. We come back. Myself and Franny, we're going to review Iron Man the Animated Series, and the sea shall give up its dead. Stay with us. Armor up, Iron Man. Hydro Armor Iron Man and action figures each sold separately. Good luck keeping on. That was hot. I didn't expect that. Summer begins with a blast. You just went supersonic. What is it? I've got no idea. Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. Very nice. Iron Man, this film is not yet rated. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all gets a place. He fights and fights with repulsor rays. Amazing armor. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. Alright, we are back. Myself and Franny, we just watched Iron Man the Animated Series and the sea shall give up its dead. We're going back to September 24th. 1994. So right off the bat, we get this intro, which you commented on, I have to agree. <laughs> Pretty terrible. It's just this awful theme song and some action, but I mean, it doesn't really sell anything. It's kind of a fight with him and the Mandrid, and they kind of show a lot of the villains and whatnot. That's kind of it. They intro the villains, they say some of their names like on the screen, but it was really kind of generic music. And when you consider the Fantastic Four that ran along with it, it had the great little theme song with the little Fantastic Four. Four, four, four. Yeah, I love that theme. <laughs> that theme song is so bad it's good, but we'll get into that later on in the Fantastic Four episode. So we open up with the scene 
in the Arctic. We're in a military base. They see a red dot on their radar. And since it's off limits, he says it must be a Russian sub, which is kind of weird in a world with uh, supervillains and things. In yeah, 1994, when the <laughs> wall was down, <laughs> they were in ruins. But, I mean, it could have just been, you know, they were in the wrong place. And then we get a shot of the uh, sub interior, and the Russians know there's an intruder on the sub, which, of course, like everything, the Russians are speaking English when they're all Russian, which I don't really get. They go into the room of the sub, and there she is. How do you say this name again? Hypnosia. Hypnosia. In this awful costume, like, like <laughs> the pants are, I mean, it looks like the Red Bee, like, had a costume that he rejected. She's got, like, striped pants, and it's horrible. Yeah, it's very poor fashion sense. They're not very alarmed by this girl getting on a sub in the middle of the sea. Then the Russian guy says, get them hands up, honey. <laughs> and she just hypnotizes them to just stop moving, because I guess that's her power, hypnotism. Yeah, let's end the name. She leaves a box of some kind of green mist on the sub and says, ah, we just have to wait a year for this to make our army of the living dead, which I don't know who she's talking to at this point. Villains love their exposition. And then she blows a hole in the sub, water coming in, and pretty much appears to me like the Russians drowned. That's my question. She has to blow a hole inside of the sub to get out. How'd she get in? <laughs> Never explained. And the water kind of doesn't, like, blast in automatically. Like, it sort of comes in slowly, and then they sort of turn into water. It was just yes, it's sort kind of, of weird. Mummified or something. It's <laughs> very strange. <laughs> so then we cut to Tony Stark in a hot tub with a young lady. Not just any young lady. That is his physical therapist, Veronica Benning, who <laughs> was from the comic, believe it or not. She was. I didn't even catch the name, so good, uh, good hear on that. So well, she was a very important girlfriend for about six issues, and then she died. <laughs> Such is the life of a billionaire playboy. She brings him into the hot tub, and he's splashing around. They don't really say what his injuries are. Well, this is for she, and that is coming from the comic where another former tragic Tony Stark girlfriend, Kathy Dare, shot him and crippled him, and she was the physical therapist that helped him regain the ability to walk. What she didn't really do, he put a microchip in his spine, which somehow fixed it, because he's Tony Stark. <laughs> so I, I don't know why that's incorporated in the comic, but I guess it is. And she has him kick in the hot tub to work on his physical therapy. And then he just splashes poor Jim Rhodes in the face. And then Rhodes says, well, we got to go, because you have a hyper-tech seminar to get to. Don't we all? What is hyper-tech? It's never really explained. <laughs> And then the alarm goes off, a Code 10 alarm, no less, and in comes Whirlwind. Whirlwind, we didn't discuss much in the intro, but uh, he's got, like, hurricane powers. He can create hurricanes. He's got buzz saws on his hands. I always loved Whirlwind, even though he's a character that never seemed like a threat. He seemed to always get his ass kicked. Yeah. But I always thought he had a cool design, especially when they added the chainmail and the buzz saws on his... He got this little Galactus helmet. Yeah. Little shape thing deal. And with his uh, hurricanes... I should say whirlwinds or Whirlwind. tornadoes, not hurricanes. I'm batting a thousand days. Throws the therapist right through the glass window. <laughs> That's a rough job. In, a, bikini, know, in a bikini. About that, by the way. <laughs> not only we have a cartoon where you've got the therapist in the bikini in the hot tub with Tony Stark and his little Speedo, but later on in this series, there's multiple episodes with women in bikinis, including one point where he's in the hot tub with her and Scarlet Witch and uh, Spider-Woman both come along in their bikinis and have a little fight because they can't be in the hot tub with Tony in their bikinis. It's a very risque cartoon. 
He truly is a ladies' man. Now, they don't actually get into armor. I mean, I guess I should give them credit for their checking on her from being thrown through a window. Dreadnought shows up. They're blowing crap up. Whirlwind steals what well, we later find out it's like a microchip, but it looked like a diamond to me. Yes. This is also particularly baffling. Whirlwind showed up. He has his whirlwinds, <laughs> his tornadoes that takes him everywhere. Dreadnought shows up and he hops on Dreadnought's horse and flies away. With yes. He needed to ride out of there. <laughs> Dreadnought, by the way, I, uh, we didn't discuss him. What a ridiculous villain, this guy. <laughs> He's like a knight on a flying horse. But an evil horse with like dragon <laughs> tails and feet and things. And uh, Spider-Woman shows up. Spider-Woman, like I said, the second Spider-Woman, not Jessica Drew, uh, designed kind of similar to the black costume of Spider-Man. Everything blows up. They say this isn't the Mandarin's usual style. No. <laughs> but he blows up and everything is is all right. Then we go to a shot of him with Modok. Modok, who is much smaller. Yes, he's like Archie Dietrich's size Modok for some reason. Yeah, which is really strange. And you find out then that it's actually a microchip. Whirlwind even says that uh, they won't miss microchip when they have so many. You get the heel laugh from the Mandarin. He's really loving that uh, microchip. The mysteriously green Mandarin. Yeah, that's another thing. Glad you brought that up. Why is the Mandarin green? Well, my only thought is, in the comics around about this time, they did a big story where he lost the rings and lost his hands in the process. And then eventually, when he came back, he had grown new green scaly hands. For some reason, I don't recall. But it was just his hands. <laughs> so, I mean, I think they just took it and ran with it. Now... I thought maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, um, his original design is not horribly offensive, but could fall into the category of a racial caricature. I didn't say the word. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's had a lot of different so maybe they ones over the years. They've been some very specifically, kind of look like David Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China look. But I mean, his name is still the Mandarin. You can't escape the fact that he's of Asian descent. Yeah, you wouldn't think. <laughs> so he says how... They're going to synchronize this microchip with the device on the submarine. And they do. But they emphasize it's going to take a year. And in one year, he will be able to destroy the one man who stands in his way, Iron Man. So this is my question. In the year, do they just take it off? Do they just hang out and wait? Or are they trying to destroy him the entire time and well, failing? That's what I don't get, because the whole cartoon pretty much was built around the Mandarin and his little rogues gallery. So... For a year, did they do nothing? Yes. I mean, what happens if they succeed next week? And the Mandarin says that Iron Man is the only man who stands between him and world domination. <laughs> Which, it's oddly specific, only Iron Man, considering all of the Avengers or Force Works, whatever you want to call them, are part of this. Yes, I don't know what his five buddies are doing if Iron Man's got to carry the weight. <laughs> so then we jump to one year later, and... They conveniently right off the bat talk about how, you know, it's been a year since that happened. And I don't know why they picked that particular date just to bring that up. An odd remembrance. And it was March 11th. They were very specific on yes. that date. I don't know if that date was just picked at random or what the deal is. But the White House wants Tony to be a part of Operation Prometheus, which we don't even know what that really is. I believe Prometheus was the name of the submarine. Ah, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's very on the nose when you get down to it. <laughs> then you go to, there's a woman in the park who has a balloon that turns out to be a recording device. With a TV screen in it, no less. <laughs> they can pierce Tony Stark's defenses. 
You see that there's a British ship that has been destroyed, very similar to what happened to the sub. For some reason they say how it could they might destroy life on Earth. I don't even know where they got that from. You find out the woman with the recording device in a balloon is uh cannot say her dang name for the love of me. Hypnosia. Hypnosia in disguise. In disguise with Modoc in the baby carriage. Yes, being pushed in the baby carriage. <laughs> Why? Nobody knows. But then he leaves her behind and she calls him a horrible little troll. And then the Mandrid, it's a year later, his plan is coming into fruition. So he gathers his little rogues gallery to make sure Iron Man doesn't appear. And in comes Blacklash, Greg Argoyle, Dreadnought, Blizzard. Did I say him already? Everybody. But then he wants Blizzard to come forward. He wants to talk to him. He says he's very loyal, but careless. Because while Blizzard was frosting his drink, he killed the Mandarin's Begonias. Possibly the greatest moments <laughs> in Iron Man history. Now let's just recap. They've gone to this plan that is a year, well, over a year, because they had to plan it before it happened. So it's over a year in the making, and he's worried about his damn begonias. So much so that he throws Blizzard into a bottomless pit, <laughs> ringed with fire. But at the last minute, he spares him because the Mandarin is merciful. It certainly is. Isn't this the guy who wants to dominate the planet? <laughs> well, he'd be a benevolent dictator. <laughs> so he tells him, He'll forgive him, but you better go to that garden and start fertilizing. Now, is the implication that, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm about to spell it out, how he's going to be fertilizing that is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we go to Tony and Jim Rhodes, and uh, he's going to have to uh, go solve what's going on. He's going to investigate what's happening with this submarine. And for the first time, we see him put on the Iron Man armor out of the suitcase. <laughs> it's an attache case, thank you very much. And I gotta say, this is just just awful. <laughs> Why did they do this? Because of the toy came out? <laughs> I mean, I don't remember him ever doing this at that point in the comics. I, maybe he's done it since. I know they did that in one of the Iron Man movies, but was that the way he was doing it in the comics at that point? Uh, no. Uh, I think they were still, I think he might have still been carrying it around in an attache case, but I mean, he took the bits out and he put them on and it, like, stands up and he steps into it. Just forms around him. Yeah. Changes color from silver to red and gold for some reason. And if that wasn't bad enough, <laughs> he goes to put the helmet on and it changes to this bizarre, terrible CGI effect. Iron Man is the technological bleeding edge. He's got to be probably the first ever computer-generated cartoon bit, I would think. Um, it might have been because it might have debuted before because Spider-Man, the animated series, used computer animation, but this might have... I know they both started around the same year of 1994. So it was either that or Spider-Man, the animated series was like the first one to really use it. But it just looks awful. <laughs> Why? Why for just the helmet? Like, what is the deal with that? Like, even because if you didn't see it, like, even Tony's face, his features are like in CGI and it just looks bad. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a test to see if they could do the whole thing in computer animation and just decided it was not good enough. So they just used it for that one little bit because they paid for it. But I'm assuming that became the stock footage of him changing an Iron Man right. episode. Yeah, it's just not good. Not good at all. <laughs> and then he brings this little robot, which essentially is Red Wing from the MCU, where yeah, it's pretty much a bird shaped robot called Irving. Which stands for 
This is a mouthful. So, in-flight refit vehicle um, with interactive neuromimetic gear. <laughs> say that whole thing. In-flight refit vehicle with interactive neuromimetic gear. <laughs> First of all, it's the most forced acronym <laughs> ever. I mean, it makes shield look like it slips off the tongue. <laughs> and what the hell is Nemo? Neuromimetic. Neuromimetic. He pulls it with his mind. <laughs> Why? I say it again. Why? Tony Stark. And even though uh, Rhodey doesn't like it, Tony's going to do it anyway. So then we go to Tony, Scarlet Witch, and uh, Spider-Woman watching TV. It's Reginald Dimpton, who, as I got to say, Awful British accent, like, so, hey, let's just bring, we only need you for two lines, so put on a terrible English accent. Uh, he's there at the, covering the tunnel that they've built from uh, England to Belgium, built by Justin Hammer. The uh, Hammer Tunnel. The Hammer Tunnel, which we find out is going to open up in England at high noon. Then suddenly, Jim Rohn's like, wait, wait, how did this get on? And Hawkeye's got the remote with, sorry, I was looking for the ball game. <laughs> Hawkeye would not show up at all before this, all of a sudden, <laughs> just there being a jerk for no reason. He accidentally turned it to information that is relevant to the plot of the show. From the feet of Iron Man heading to the Prometheus, <laughs> which isn't exactly on TV, so how did he do that? <laughs> I have no idea. We switch to Iron Man's Above the Ocean, and he has to use Irving to switch into the undersea armor, which I believe I remember that armor appearing in the comic. That is a real thing? Which... It comes out of Irving, who, like I said before, he's like the same size of Red Wing in the MCU. How does he have the armor that's bigger than the armor he's already wearing in him? Well, my question is, it's supposed to follow you around and fix you up with whatever you need. How much does it carry? <laughs> I'll buy it's got basically half a suit of armor in there, but what if you need space armor? What if you need Arctic armor or the stealth armor? I'm going to guess he knew he was going to go to the ocean, so he installed it with the undersea armor, which, by the way, fits over... The armor he's already wearing. Wait. I mean, I'm not an engineer or a physicist, but that seems like improbable at best. Nothing is improbable for Tony Stark. So then he goes underwater, and this is also completely perplexing to me. The sub's still there. It's been sitting there for a year. A Russian sub sinks. In restricted waters. In restricted waters with the technology they have under suspicious circumstances, and they just let it sit there for a year. Wait. Tony's suspecting strong radiation coming from it, but nothing, it doesn't seem lethal or nuclear, he says. Or nuclear. Then the villains show up, and Greg Gargoyle steps on Irving. That bastard. This is my favorite. They're all there, the Dread Knight, on his horse, underwater. Yes, notice the horse. <laughs> Everyone's wearing a little bubble helmets with no oxygen tank or anything, except for the horse. Or Greg Gargoyle. Well, I know he's living stone, but he's still living. Shouldn't he not be able to breathe? <laughs> and he's riding his horse. Who is flying underwater. Flying underwater. And whirlwind is whirlwinding underwater, by the way. <laughs> I guess I could buy that. He's creating like a whirlpool uh, type effect. It's still pretty perplexing. The whole thing is perplexing to me. So we jump back to Force Works and know Tony's in trouble. Now, uh, Rhodey puts on the war machine out of it, but he gets no CGI just, and just suitcase. Normal. Just puts it on. Puts it on like a suit. And then he says, War Machine! <laughs> now, your um, your thoughts on the War Machine, the concept of the armor in general, not just the cartoon, but the comic, that armor, Rhodes getting his own persona. I liked it. 
originally the war machine armor was for Tony. He was fighting somebody forgettable who kicked his ass. So he made extra special armor with extra guns on it, <laughs> used it once to win. And then, if I remember correctly, pretty much immediately died in the comics. Jim was left to take over, even though he didn't want to. But he started using the war machine armor as Iron Man for three or four months, whatever, until Tony came back to life, which he's done way too many times. <laughs> for some, I don't remember how it happened, but it did. And then he just told him to keep it, and he went on being War Machine. I like the War Machine design. I like Jim Rhodes becoming a superhero again. Yes. I guess my only complaint, and it's not just Iron Man, a lot of characters, I wish that could do more to make him a little more distinct from Iron Man. And again, it's it's an Iron Man armor. I mean, it's only to fall so far from the tree. But I mean, at this point, there's like nine Supermen, nine Captain Americas, nine Green Lanterns, multiple Batman. So I guess, I mean, you got to cut the stats. At least left. in this case, it's more believable there could be an adjunct Iron Man type character. Because again, it's just a suit as opposed to everyone has some kind of similar power or everyone had some kind of accident or fell into some gamma bomb or something. I wasn't really mentioning much because she didn't have much of a role, but the look of Scarlet Witch on this cartoon <laughs> is dreadful. That was taken directly from the comic where it was also dreadful. And it's even more emphasized in the comic because you see it in action where it's basically, it's a bathing suit with like a loincloth in the front. And it is absolutely ridiculous. Now, granted, her original costume's a little funky. A little changed. I have a soft spot for her because it's the one I kind of grew up with. But this, what, what, what was going, I just, we're going to get off track a little bit. What was going on? The hypersexuality going on in the 90s, especially with female characters, was well, ridiculous. If you remember, this is right about the same time in the comics where Sue Storm, the most white bread Donna Mills character <laughs> in the history of comics, started running around three quarters naked in this one piece bikini outfit I can't even describe. <laughs> so, I mean, that sort of thing was all over the place. I mean, she essentially looks like a stripper to me on this uh, oh, show. totally. And, like, it's a cartoon. So I don't understand why, uh, especially when it's, like, a toy-based cartoon. Why? There's one case where, ignore the source material, create a new costume. You would think. And speaking of costumes and looks, Century, I don't know anything about this character, but what a sh <laughs> goddamn terrible-looking character. Yes, he was terrible-looking, terrible-sounding, terrible everything. If you didn't know, if you didn't watch this... He's got, like, long white... He looks kind of like Cable with white hair. He kind of has a gray zombie kind of complexion with a long white top ponytail. He's got big shoulder pads, a couple of axes, a cape for no good reason. He's just got it all. And then he pulls out his weapons and says, By the power of my battle star, my battle axes or battle stars, I'm going to bend time and space. Yes, he can conveniently teleport, which brings up a question. Tony Stark has to get up in the suit... <laughs> Get his little robot buddy, fly halfway around the world to the Arctic Sea, go through the whole rigmarole of putting on the armor over up in the sky, and then diving down. Why didn't Sentry just snap his fingers and pop him in there like he does with the rest of the team? You could have been in and out in five minutes. You could have stayed dry. No idea. And I guess you're supposed to just know what his powers are and what he's doing there because I had no goddamn idea. Read Force Works to find out. Again, like I've brought this up on other episodes, you know, the Power Ranger said it's morphin' time, and He-Man said, by the power of Grey Skull, and Green Lantern says, you know, in brightest day, if he doesn't say this stupid oath about bending time and space, would his powers still work? I don't know, and no one cares. <laughs> There's a character that does remain, don't reboot. There's one, leave collecting dust. And they have 
they get into a fight where it looks like things aren't going to work so well. So um, they call in Bing Fang Foon, who is also green, by the way, who I thought was orange, my memory says. Originally, he was sort of a brownish orange, but they changed him green after that. Fairly accurate in the cartoon. What is the deal with Fing Fang Foon? Is he a dragon? What, I don't even know what he, he Eventually, we decided that he was an alien of the race that gave the Mandarin his rings. It was his ship that crashed on Earth, and the rings were actually the control mechanisms of the ship. So that's where the Mandarin found them. So Mandarin and Fin Fang Foom, they eventually they decided were somewhat connected. Does that still exist in 2021, or has that been Oh, I can't. I no idea. <laughs> that was a John Byrne story from 1995-ish or something, so who knows? That may be long over and done. He gets blasted, and he starts falling in the sea, and Rhodes says that it's a cyber feed overload that's going to reach his brain, and his brain will incinerate. Mind you, he breathed fire on him underwater. <laughs> Once. <laughs> what kind of design flaw is that, by the way? <laughs> Am I, this is the guy wearing two suits of armor at this point, by the way. <laughs> yes, he's wearing two suits of armor. So they do save him and uh, get away, and they uh, chase off Fing Fang Foon, who they in fact say, fangs for the memory. Eh? <laughs> and then Tony Stark, now he's like, there's something up here. Mandarin only calls Fing Fang Foom if it's a big deal. Why did he call him off? So I, I stand corrected what I just said. They didn't fight him off. He just sort of left. Yes, everyone just packed up and left. Tony can't figure out why. They only call him in it's a big deal, but then he called him off, making Tony. The wheels are turning in Tony's head. Then you find out Irving is alive. He got stepped on, <laughs> but he's back. And it's just very bizarre to me. And this is really strange because somehow... Tony intuits that there's something special about this day. And he has to go to the computer in the early days of the internet and starts doing a search for March the 11th last year. And then Homer comes in, or excuse me, uh, Irving comes in. Homer. <laughs> Homer's the other guy we're going to talk about. This <laughs> Irving comes in and just dials it up automatically because somehow the little dummy drone robot that got stepped on at the bottom of the ocean by a stone guy just knows what's going on and just throws it up on the screen. And when Tony sees it, he says, I know what this is all about. And then explains it to no one and gets everybody go running back. <laughs> so then we swing back to England with that Reginald guy with the terrible accent because it's about to hit high noon and Hammer's going to open the Hammer Tunnel. Is it just me or Justin Hammer? Like, sounds maniacal whenever he speaks. As maniacal and as evil as any genius ever has. <laughs> and as near as I can tell, he has absolutely nothing to do with this plan <laughs> other than the dumb luck that he happened to be there <laughs> opening a tunnel. Like, at this point, you don't even know he has any connection that he's even evil. If you're just someone who's never seen Iron Man. You don't even know he's a bad guy. <laughs> Other than his maniacal manner. And again, this how is... How could he be anything but? Not necessarily a reflection on the cartoon, but kind of is. Like, why is every single Iron Man villain in history working for the Mandarin? Because for some reason, there was two teams, Iron Man and Mandarin. And this is like when they brought Green Goblin back to life, and suddenly everything in Spider-Man's life was manipulated behind the scenes by Norman Osborn. The mark of a true villain. And then what happens is they're going to awaken the dead Russians on the submarine. Who have spent the entire year turning into muck-covered zombies somehow. Yeah, they say they're even uh, radioactive zombies, which were infused with the iodine ions from the seawater. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which took a year, and if they escape through the tunnel, they're going to infect millions with their radiation. Iron Man gets... The Avengers or Force Works, whatever you want to call them, to 
fight the zombies. In rather spectacular fashion, for some reason they do not teleport to England. They travel there, and the people that can't fly have assorted strange vehicles. My favorite being Hawkeye is flying a motorcycle that flies. <laughs> not the one from the comics. It's an actual motorcycle <laughs> with wheels that flies. I can only assume it had to have been put in there to make a vehicle for the toy line. I don't believe there were vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> so they get into this big fight with the uh, zombies. Where Scarlet Witch at one point uses her powers to make herself look like look one like of the zombies. one, so she can hit it over the head with the stick it was holding. <laughs> the zombies don't seem to be doing much of anything. I also like to point out in this scene: first, Hawkeye crashes his flying motorcycle into the crowd of zombies. Then Sentry teleports him and Hawkeye six feet to the left to fight some more zombies. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what? What? I don't. I don't get it. Uh, I found the whole thing very confusing. Um, then Iron Man's going to have to go underwater again. But this time he's going to use his, I quote, short-term underwater capabilities. So conveniently now, he doesn't need the undersea armor. Well, he's just taking a little dip. You don't have to go the whole, the whole route. Because he tried to cave in the tunnel and that didn't work. So he takes this giant pipe from underwater that he... Uh, he like, cuts a cuts chunk it. out of the tunnel and just dumps them into the sea. <laughs> and that's the end of that. Mandrid is all upset. But Modoc's got a backup plan. Out of nowhere, Titanium Man. <laughs> Absolutely out of nowhere. I, I don't understand this at all. Titanium Man shows up, gets into a fight with uh, just War Machine and Iron Man, which I believe one of them says we have to uh, iron things out. And naturally. <laughs> so after a little bit of a fight, Tony manages to wrap up the Titanium Man in asphalt like an old rug. And says, uh, I'm going to put a package on this. Don't open until the year 3000. At which point, Iron Man and War Machine throw him into apparently deep space where he explodes for absolutely no reason. This is also... Sentry gives this little speech about how it's not these Russians' fault. So, he's going to turn him back into humans. And then just magically does it with his magic <laughs> axes. Which is one thing I hate more than anything in life is some comic character with totally ill-defined powers who can just magically do anything that needs to be done in any given moment with no explanation and no limits at all. And again, if he could do this, why did they why not avoid the fight in the first place and just do it right off the bat? Exactly. Uh, why are we fighting the Mandarin every week when we can just <laughs> magic him away, apparently? And then they've saved the day. And then in very... Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget fashion, <laughs> the Mandrit says, I'll be back. And then we wrapped up. Iron Man episode one, and the sea shall give up its dead. Uh, before we get into... Alright, let's just get right into the spectrometer. The spectrometer, for anyone new, every week we uh, rank what we had. Zero spectros being the worst, four being the absolute best. On a scale of one to four spectros, how are you going to rank, and the sea shall give up its dead? I'll probably give it a two and a half. It's actually better than I remembered it being, quality production-wise. It's a bit of a mess in the story department, as we've detailed. But at the same time, you get all the Iron Man fan service you could possibly want with 57 characters from the comics. and I know, it's middle of the road for me. I'm going to give it a one on the spectrum, <laughs> which to this point is the lowest ranking I've ever gave anything. But I mean, the animation looks like, to me, like late 80s knockoff animation, except for the CGI, which apparently spent all their money. 
Some of it's not the cartoon's fault. They went with the designs from the comics, which are terrible. Scarlet Witch and Century being completely the, the, the most offensive, just awful. Hawkeye, for the most part, I got no issues with, looks like Hawkeye. The cartoon is overfilled with villains and heroes that get either nothing to do or maybe one line. Did, did Spider-Woman do anything in this cartoon? She threw some psionic webs over some zombies. And, <laughs> and she was the one, at the beginning when they blew up the therapist, she was the one to respond to see what was happening. The theme the song is terrible. Yes. Generic. Century's powers just... I, I know we're picking apart a cartoon here, but geez, his powers just don't add up. It's not really my favorite Iron Man design as far as his armor goes. It's just... It's too much jammed into it. It's really kind of bad. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go one. I, I gotta say, just did not enjoy this for the most part. The only thing I liked is that they filled so many classic Marvel characters who I had never seen in any animation before. Uh, honestly, the only one I'd ever seen before was Iron Man. In the old Iron Man 60s cartoon, plus he showed up on an episode of uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. The inclusion of that many characters was sort of the high point and the low point in its way. But it's like they had a series. They couldn't like have some of them not be in there. I don't know if later episodes they just sort of strung it out a little bit with one or two henchmen, but they just sort of threw the whole thing out there in the first episode. I guess if you weren't going to get hooked by that, you weren't coming back. That might explain why the second season they went with completely different animation studio, uh, new voices, new writers, because, wow, was this just, this was bad. I thought it was really terrible. The longer we talk about it, considering lowering my ranking from one on the spectrum unit. That's very harsh. I haven't seen it. It makes me not want to review it, but if we did review second season, would you say it's improved? I don't really remember much from the second season other than it looks a lot different, and they got rid of most of the characters. They thinned it out where it's just War Machine and uh, Spider-Woman for sidekicks. And then they just sort of did a villain for an episode as opposed to the bad guy team every episode. Also, every week I ask the question, if a kid in 2021 came across Iron Man the Animated Series, what would they think? I think if it was a very young kid, they'd be intrigued by the flashing lights and sounds like any little kid. Like a... 13, 14 year old or whatever, I'm not sure they'd get into it just because it's really kind of thick, if you know what I mean. It's just a lot to pay attention to, and it's not intriguing enough if you aren't a diehard comic fan to really pay that much attention. So I don't think a, an average age kid would really go for it. I think most average age kids would look at it as kind of dated. They'd kind of look at it as some of the way we looked at animation from the early days of animation of not being particularly good. Very busy, but they might like it just because there's so much going on. And since Iron Man is so popular in today's pop culture, I think they might be willing to give it a chance. Plus, there's girls in bikinis everywhere in this cartoon, apparently. Baffling. Would you say it's a accurate rendition of what was going on in the comic books at the time? Not really, because Force Works at this time was right around the time the series ended up with finding out that Tony Stark had been manipulated by Kang for his entire life and was a, like a 30-year pawn. And some incredible scheme, which, by the way, ended up with Tony dying and coming back as a teenage Tony Stark. So <laughs> it was not all rosy in Iron Man land at this time. It's probably actually certainly more upbeat than the comics were at this point. All right. There you have it. Iron Man, the animated series and the sea shall give up their dead. And I want to thank you for listening. You know, I almost regret doing this episode because I had to sit through that cartoon. <laughs> I want to thank you, Franny, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you'll come back uh, one day. Uh, I want to know what you think out there. If you could uh, 
Let me know on my uh, social media. Give me your comments. Maybe you liked it better than you did. If you did like this episode more than me, that's great. Uh, I'm not taking that away from you. <laughs> I'm glad that you can get some enjoyment out of it. Follow me on Twitter. at uh, I'm at Matt Spectro. If you go to my uh, Facebook page, give me a like. If you could share my uh, podcast, always trying to grow it, subscribe. Give me a five-star review. I would really appreciate it. If you have any suggestions for episodes, I want to hear those as well. Freddie, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Iron Man only gets better from here in the animated world, so stay tuned for more. Uh, maybe when you come back and we'll review, there was another Iron Man cartoon, if I'm not mistaken, later on down the road. I think maybe two more, actually. Who knows? But this may have soured me for uh, Iron Man forever. Thank you for joining us here on Matt Spectre Through the Multiverse. Don't miss an episode. Come back next week. Until then, this is Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!